Well, good morning again. Glad you are here. Last week we began a new series called Don't Waste Your Life. And we talked about the idea that you have been here, or I'm sorry, this world has been here for thousands and thousands of years. And we tend to look at our life as this long, long time. But in reality, our life isn't really this long, long period of time. It's actually a really, really short period of time that spans the gap of eternity. And you have just this short little amount of life to make a difference in the grand scheme of things. A life that could have an impact on into eternity for years and years to come. But the question is, what will you do with the life that you do have? What will you do with the life that you have to make an impact on into eternity? For most of us, it's a question we probably don't think about very often. For most of us, it's a question that we rarely get past what's next. What, what are we doing after we're done here? What do we have coming up this week? And rarely do we think about the impact that this moment could have for future generations to come. And the whole idea last week was that blessing would follow obedience. And again, not in the sense that God's going to give you a mansion and a Lamborghini and the finest clothes and houses, but that God's goodness and joy will fill your life. That's what this blessing was to be about. That God would bless you as His children. But my problem with messages typically like this is most people walk away thinking, okay, if this is all I have, I need to try a lot harder. I need to focus a lot more so that I will make a bigger impact. But what if that's not the answer? What if just try harder is not the way that we really pursue Jesus? In a world that says you need to make it on your own, you need to earn your way. You need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The message of the gospel is in fact that you can't do that. But the good news is that God can the, the, the horrible news this morning is that you cannot live your life in a way that's going to make an eternal impact every single day through your own power and strength. Just try harder. But that God in your life can. So years ago, I say years, um, maybe ten years ago, Five years ago, I guess. I went through a phase. I didn't really think about when I did this last. Um, I went through a phase again where I started cutting my own hair. Because it was just easier. I didn't want to take the time to go sit down and let someone else cut it, so I was cutting my own hair. And it was really simple because I would use a two-guard on top, and I would use a one on the sides, and it was pretty easy not to mess up. Um, my wife did not like it, though. She said I looked too much like a coach. 
I don't know what she has against coaches. But I was pretty stubborn about it, too. If I was going to do it, I was going to do it. And I really didn't want anyone to help me, including trying to get the back. And so what I would do is I would use our mirror in the bathroom, and I would use another smaller mirror that I would typically steal from my daughter, Gracie. And I would turn with the small mirror here, and I would look into the big mirror behind me, and I would try to trim the back of my neckline with the clippers. And, and you know with mirrors, the problem is everything gets distorted. Right? You, you think you're going to the left, and you would try to tilt it to the left, and you would be going to the right. And so trying to do it with two mirrors in play was extremely frustrating. Because I would think at times my razor was turned this way or this way, and I'd try to correct, and I would turn it the wrong way. And I was really close, and several times I did make little mistakes, and I would have to call my wife for help. But, but what was really frustrating was at times it would look like I was turning it the right direction, but in honesty, I wasn't. It, it looked right, but it wasn't really right. And for me, there's so many things in our faith, in our journey with Jesus that to me don't look right and don't feel right, but Jesus says this is the way to life. This is the way to find Christ. This is the way to find salvation. This is the way to find hope. One of those is in Matthew 16. And Jesus says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me We'll find it. And for me, that's one of those statements that Jesus says that does not look right and does not feel right. In a world that says, just try harder, you can make it. You can figure it out on your own. You're smart enough. You're strong enough. You're wise enough. Jesus comes along and he says, you want to save your life? Do you want to save your life? Then you need to lay it down. You need to surrender it. Because in essence, you're trying to do something that you are completely incapable of doing. You want to save your life? Lay it down. But this statement has a context. In this little section in Matthew's Gospel, as Matthew is telling the story of Jesus, he's just had this conversation with his disciples. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, are constantly doubting who Jesus is. And he comes alongside his disciples and he says, but who do you say that I am? And the disciples start to throw out answers. Well, we think you're a prophet or we think maybe Elijah. And then he turns and he looks at Peter and he says, no, but who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter turns to Jesus and he says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, Peter, you're correct. You got this right. And based on that confession that you are the Messiah, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my ecclesia, this gathering of people who all come together confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And within this church, the gates of hell will never prevail against it. They will not be able to overcome it. And Peter, I'm sure, is at this point where he's kind of patting himself on the back. And then Jesus turns to his disciples as they gather there, just hearing Peter's confession. And he says to them, now I'm going to be handed over to the priests 
and to the leaders and to the teachers of the law, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to rise on the third day. And Peter, I think, is on this, this trip where he's got everything right, and he stands up and he goes, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. Even if I have to die with you, I will never give up. Because I believe you are Messiah. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. And understand, he's not calling Peter Satan. But it's that posture of Peter. In the spirit of Satan that he says needs to leave. And, and it's with this context here that, that these disciples, it's, it's in this context that these disciples are trying to figure this out. What, what does it mean for Jesus to be Messiah? What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? Because in Peter's mind, it does not look like going to a cross. Right? Kings don't end up on crosses. If they do, they fail to be a king. And I think in Peter's mind, he's thinking, wait, you're a Messiah, and you've told us you're a Messiah. That means you're not going to die. And that means the people who are in power now have to be taken out of power. And for that to happen, there's got to be a violent revolution. And we're the ones who have to lead it. We're the ones who have to stand up and put our foot down and say, this is never going to happen. And Jesus is saying, Peter, you don't get it. This is not try harder to make sure your plan works. This is not try harder so you think the way that you see the world is just obviously the way the world is going to work. See, ultimately this is a, a really profound question for his disciples and I think a really profound question for you as well. And it's just simply, do you trust me? Do you trust me? That the way that you see things working out may not be the way they need to work out. That the way you think things should go doesn't necessarily mean they're the way of God. Do you trust me? And here, here's the thing. Intellectually, I think all of them would say the very same thing you and I would say. Well, of course we do. Of course, Jesus, we trust you. We've been following you for years now. We in this with you. And I'm sure in the back of their mind were things like Proverbs 3, right? Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. I mean, because here, like, like this morning, there's probably not anyone in this, this room that would say, well, well, yeah, we don't believe that. But here's the question. Do you really trust Him with your life? Do you really trust Him with your plan, with your ways? See, and it's, it's difficult because Jesus' statement, if you want to save your life, you have to lay it down. It doesn't look right and it doesn't feel right to me. Like intellectually, I get it. But deep down in my heart, deep down in your bones, the question, do you really trust Him. See, because they've seen how the world works. They've seen violent revolutions. They've seen how Rome comes to power and how they stay in power. They've heard story of how Assyria came to power. And they know how Egypt came to power. They've seen, you've seen how the world works. And sometimes these statements of Jesus, like it, it just looks backwards. It doesn't look like it fits. It doesn't look like that's the way the world is supposed to work. I think that's why these words of Jesus so often are so incredibly difficult for not only these first disciples, but for you and I as well. See, Jesus, as is, is He tells Peter to get behind Him, he turns to them and says, okay, there's a different way. Like, I understand you, you think this is how things are supposed to go. But let me just tell you how they're supposed to go. In verse 24, he says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. All right, kings... Don't end up on crosses. And, and Jesus is not speaking in some metaphorical term to these first disciples. He is literally saying, hey, do you want to follow me? Do you, do you think I'm that great? We might literally walk outside this door. We might have a cross strapped to our back. And we might have to march up the, this nearest hill. And we might be crucified there. Do, you still, do I mean that much to you? That you still want to follow me? Because if you want to save your life, you're not going to follow the road to the cross. Your mind is not going to say, oh, well, that's obviously where it leads, up this nearest hill to Calvary to be crucified. That's not how it works. But Jesus says, no, no. My kingdom is different. And it does not work the way you would assume it would. And then he goes on to say this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Are, are you willing? And I love the, the word here, 
whoever. Whoever wants to save their life. Don't, don't you just mean the Jews? No, no, no. no. Whoever. Any, anyone who wants to come to me is going to find grace and mercy. But they're not just going to find grace and mercy. They're going to find a cross. They're going to find a cross that I'm calling these disciples of mine to pick up. And you're going to lose your life. But when you lose it, when you lay it down, you're going to find a depth of life that you could not imagine. It's almost as if Jesus tells these first disciples, like, you're going to be the losers. You're not going to be the winners. You're not going to be the one sitting on the throne. You're not going to be the one with all the money and all the riches and all the wealth. You're not going to be the ones who are popular. You're going to kind of be the losers. What's really interesting in Matthew 5 is he begins the Sermon on the Mount. It's almost exactly the word he uses. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the poor in spirit is this word, anawiam. And it literally means like the lowest class. The, the people that no one wants to have anything to do with. Those are the ones that will be blessed. It, it's not the one on the top of the ladder. It, it's not the one who's on the throne. It's the one who is down here. Why is that? Because they realize there's no other hope from above. They realize because all of their power and all their strength has been stripped away. I think one of our biggest problems, and I'll, just, I'll speak for myself, one of my biggest problems is I still feel like I have a lot of power and strength still feel like I have a lot of control. I still feel like I can control where things are supposed to go and how things are supposed to look. But it's Jesus who says, blessed. Blessed are those who, who can't fend for themselves. Who can't take care of themselves. Those who are lost, those who are looking, those who are searching. And that, that's just that completely unnatural idea. And it's totally backwards from what we've seen. It, it doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. That, that's the thing. I never really got comfortable with cutting my hair. Or at least the back of the neck. It always, e even time after time doing it, it always looked like I was turning the clippers the wrong way looking in the mirrors. but it was turning it the direction that did not look right. That actually got it to where it needed to go. And I think there's where Jesus, where Jesus is taking us as His followers. It might not look right. It might not feel right. 
It's not the way that everyone else is going, but I promise you, it is the way that leads to life. And then Jesus asked this amazing question. He says, what good is it? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What a powerful question. What, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? And, and what we, we typically think of in forfeiting our soul is we think of eternity. And what Jesus is talking about here is not necessarily eternity. It's not excluding it. But, but he's, he's talking about right here where you are right now. Losing your soul. Because let's, let's be honest. You, you lose your soul not right here at the very end. You lose it well before that day comes. You, you lose it by pursuing things. that we think are important. We, we lose it every day by giving just a little bit more of ourself the things that might not matter. See, see, it's not you arrive at the end and then you suddenly discover your soul is gone. My guess is there are moments in your life along the way where you realize that just a little bit more of your soul has died. That you've given up just a little bit more. Which leaves a great question. What is it that you're pursuing? What, what are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? What are you following? right now. See, see as I, I started thinking about it, what, what are the things that I'm pursuing? I don't know if there's anything that I'm pursuing right now that anyone would look at and say, that's a really, really bad, dangerous thing. I don't know if anyone would look, if I were just to go, kind of go through my life right now, I, I don't know if anyone would look and just say, well, well that's horrible, that's, that's, that's something you shouldn't be pursuing right now. But what I've noticed is in those different pursuits, many of which are really good things, there's a gradual fading within me. There's this gradual decline. See, because it'd, it'd be easy to just say, well, you know, there was, there was an affair, or there was an addiction, or, or there was stealing. I mean, if there were these big moments along the way, but I think what makes it more difficult 
It's when it's not just a sharp downturn. But it's just gradual over time. Because you're giving your heart and soul to things that can't fulfill it. Someone once said that if Satan can't make you sin, he'll just make you busy. See, because those, those things in my life we wouldn't say are bad. They're important. But the question is, in those moments, is my heart, my soul, my mind pursuing Jesus through them? Yes, my kids and my family and my relationship with my spouse, all those things are important. And they matter immensely. But, it, but is God at the center of them? Is, is that what I'm pursuing? And, and so just asking the question, what is it that you're giving your heart and soul to that is pulling your attention away from Jesus? What, what is it that you're giving yourself to that's pulling yourself away from Jesus? What are you pursuing that might not be bad, but gradually is causing this slow decline in your heart and soul and your ability to see and walk with Him? Because right after that, He says this, For the Son of Man is going to come into His Father's glory with His angels. And again, I don't think this is speaking of off in the future. I think this is talking about literally the cross and the resurrection that are coming, right? And then He will reward each person according to what they have done. Like, Just, just think for a second. What, what have you done? What have you... I mean, just like if you were just to list your accomplishments. If you were to list all the things that you're proud of. If you were to list all the things that you feel like, man, this is... This is it. Or, or maybe even those things in our relationship with Christ. Well, I'm at church and I sing and I, I serve and I lead and I share. I mean, what have you done? See, because this question, even if we're thinking about the good things that we're doing for that reward. If we're thinking, we're, we're doing this because this is what it looks like and means to follow Jesus, I wonder if some of those things that we've done in some way contribute to that decline. Because what we're pursuing is not necessarily Jesus, but rather a perception of what we assume it looks like to follow Jesus. When in fact, Jesus says, you want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? Then you're going to surrender your life. You're going to take up a cross. And you're going to follow me. See, and it comes back to that question. Do you trust me? 
Not, not intellectually. Not, not Sunday school answer time. But do you really trust me? Do you trust me enough to follow when things get difficult? Because that's what the kingdom looks like. It's about surrender. It's about laying down. Do you trust me? Do you trust me with today? Do you trust me with tomorrow? Do you trust me with your past? Do you trust me with your future? Do you trust me with your marriage? Do you trust me with your kids? Do you trust me with your finances? Do you trust me with your doubts? Your anxieties? Your failures? Do you trust me with your fear? Do you trust me with your uncertainty? Do you trust me with your need to control everything? Do you trust me? Are you willing to follow no matter where it leads? When I was growing up, I remember living in Garland, Texas, and just being able to play anywhere we wanted in our neighborhood. We would ride our bikes all over, but we knew as it started getting darker that we needed to kind of start migrating back around the house. And then usually about 9 o'clock, my mom or dad would step out on the front porch, and they would holler for us, it's time to come home. And whatever we were doing, we'd start making our way back to the house. And it wasn't that we didn't know what we needed to do. It was just we were busy doing other stuff. We were just being kids. And we needed someone to say, hey, it's time to come back. It's time to come back home. And I think Jesus' message here, do you want to lose your life? Do you want to save your life? Then you're going to lay it down. You're going to take up your cross and you're going to follow me. Because you're going to pursue so many things in your life that will gradually just take bits and pieces from your heart and soul. But there's a reward waiting for those who are willing to lay down their life and follow me. And that reward, it's not someday off in the future, it's right here and right now. You're going to find this freedom and hope within your life right now. That nothing else could match. Could you imagine, as a church, if daily, collectively, every one of us were saying once again today, Father, I die to myself to live with you. Because that's the same thing that Jesus did, right? It was God that raised Jesus. It was, it was Jesus surrendering His life into the hands of the Father, trusting that God would raise him up. And every day, as his followers, that's what we do. 
We surrender our lives yet again, trusting that God is going to raise us back up. It's not just try harder. It's really just just give up. Give up control. Give up the need for it to look right, feel right, and come follow me. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Father, today, we pray, Father, that you would help us to trust you more today than we did yesterday. And Father, as we follow you, we would give all that we have and all that we are for your glory and for your name. Father, help us to trust. We struggle so badly with that one simple word. But Father, we know and we believe. Intellectually, we have it. Father, help that belief to sink down deep into our bones. To be that fire burning inside that we can't keep in. Thank you so much for the cross and for the way of Jesus. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.